Deadly Harfoots, Weeping Elindil, A Jarringly Humble Galadriel, Kneeling Elves, and Who is Celeborn? We'll wander through all this and more in my breakdown of Rings of Power Season 1, Episode 7, The Eye. And fair warning, this one ain't gonna be pretty. I think my golem self has tyrannical control of my Smeagol self for this one, but I promise I'll keep the hissing, coughing, and my precious seeing to a minimum. Before we get too far, wandering Middle-earth is not for the faint of heart, and wanderers need the support of their friends along the way. You can support the Lore of the Rings podcast in a lot of different ways. Feel free to share a wafer of Lumbus bread with me by going to buymeacoffee.com slash lotrpodcast. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com slash lotrpodcast. And you can use the links in the show notes to purchase from Amazon the books that I referenced in today's episode. And a rating, a review, and sharing the show with a fellow wanderer are fabulous ways for you to support the Lore of the Rings podcast. Welcome! In the Lore of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Magavanyan, fellow wanderers! What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Episode 7 of Rings of Power is, to me, the culmination of almost everything wrong in Rings of Power. But before we dig into the specifics of this episode, let's wander through an essay that Tolkien wrote called On Fairy Stories, in which Tolkien laid out his philosophy for what makes a really great fantasy tale. We won't go into all the details, but at the heart of it, Tolkien advocates that the greatest fantasy stories go beyond what's called the willing suspension of disbelief to a higher level, which Tolkien described as enchantment. Here's a paragraph from the essay. Quote, Children are capable, of course, of literary belief when the storymaker's art is good enough to produce it. That state of mind has been called willing suspension of disbelief. But this does not seem to me a good description of what happens. What really happens is that the storymaker proves a successful sub-creator. He makes a secondary world, which your mind can enter. Inside it, what he relates is true. It accords with the laws of that world. You therefore believe it, while you are, as it were, inside. The moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken. The magic, or rather art, has failed. You are then out in the primary world again, looking at the little abortive secondary world from outside, 
If you are obliged, by kindliness or circumstance, to stay, then disbelief must be suspended or stifled. Otherwise, listening and looking would become intolerable. But this suspension of disbelief is a substitute for the genuine thing, a subterfuge we use when condescending to games or make-believe, or when trying, more or less willingly, to find what virtue we can in the work of an art that has for us failed. Seven episodes in, and I am not enchanted. I am willing, as Tolkien described, to suspend my belief, but I am not yet drawn into this world that Rings of Power has created. And if you've listened to this show for a while, you'll know I was very excited, very willing to give this show some benefit of the doubt, as it were. But I find myself time and time again experiencing moments like Tolkien described, quote, the moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken, the magic, or rather art, has failed. Rings of Power stuns me and enchants me in its visual representations of Tolkien's world. I'm enchanted by Bear McCary's music and its myriad of themes. Where Rings of Power loses me is in its characters, and in the decisions they make, and in the things they say. It kills me time and time again. Let's review some major character inconsistencies in the Harfoots, Elendil, and Galadriel, just as three examples of times where the enchantment is broken. Ah, the little Harfoots, so innocent and cute, with their little songs about babies getting washed away in rivers while old Bulgerbuck is snailing. I just can't understand these people. Their mantra is, we wait for you, except when we decide to take the wheels off your carts. Stung by bees, you're left behind. Stuck in snow, you're left behind. Broken ankle, you're left behind. Bring in a stranger, you're left behind. One of them says, what's the point of living if you aren't living good? Well, with that logic, all the Harfoots should go jump off a cliff. Nori's dad says something like, we stay true to each other with hearts even bigger than our feet. Well, that's a nice ideal, but we really haven't seen that yet. And while we're on the topic of Harfoots and inconsistencies, somehow a volcano has erupted and covered an entire region in shadow and ash, but the only observable portion to the Harfoots are some random rocks that happen to fall on the only fruit trees along their trail. They don't see the huge clouds of smoke or any other destruction, except exactly where their fruit trees are. And if we were to look at a map, the Harfoots might even be closer to the Insta-Volcano than the Numenorean army. Why weren't they caught in the ashes too? Details, details, details. Alindil. We saw him last running towards the Queen, as a good soldier would do during the just-add-water volcanic eruption. But he's nowhere near Muriel in this episode. In fact, we have no idea what he's doing until the survivors are well on their way out of the village. He can't find Isildur. Uh, you'd think he would have looked around a bit for him. And apparently, Alindil refuses to speak Elvish to horses anymore. And if he truly understands the connection between the horses of Westerness and their riders, why can't he put two and two together and make a guess that Isildur is still alive? Here's a tidbit of lore from Tolkien's unfinished tales about horses. Quote, In Numenor, all journeyed from place to place on horseback. For in riding the Numenorians, both men and women took delight. And all the people of the land loved horses, treating them honorably and housing them nobly. They were trained to hear and answer calls from a great distance. And it is said in old tales that where there was great love between men and women and their favorite steeds, they could be summoned at need by thought alone. So, if Elendil understood this, as he claimed he learned from his wife before she died, why doesn't he say, hey, maybe Barak has some connection with Isildur and he's going to go find him? Seems like a foolhardy mistake to me. But I'm sure we'll see in a future episode that Barak is a faithful horse and finds Isildur 
just like the horse Brego finds Aragorn in Peter Jackson's The Two Towers. A completely made-up scene, by the way, but we all love Brago anyway. Back to Elendil. He was Galadriel's only ally in Numenor, and according to the lore, he is the leader of the faithful who want to remain true to the Valar, and yet he regrets his decision to save Galadriel. And that moment, when he turns away from the queen, as the subtitles say, sniffles, a friend of mine pointed that out, I just don't understand. Is he mourning the loss of his son, who knowingly went into battle, knowing all the risks? I just don't understand why Muriel's vow to return is so disheartening for him. Somehow, Galadriel survives the pyroclastic blow from the volcano. I mean, all the elves are diminishing by spring unless they get mithril, but Galadriel can survive a volcanic eruption. Without any magical mithril around, Galadriel can withstand what stone buildings cannot. I was asked why she could survive that, and I honestly have no answers for you, except a contrarian example which comes from the first age of Middle-earth. In the first age, five major battles served as milestones in the War of the Elves versus Morgoth to reclaim the Silmarils. The fourth of these battles is called Dagor Bragalok, or the Battle of Sudden Flame. This name was derived by the opening salvo from Morgoth. Let me read a passage from the Silmarillion. Quote, then suddenly Morgoth sent forth great rivers of flame that ran down swifter than Balrogs from Thangorodrim and poured all over the plain, and the mountains of iron belched forth fires of many poisonous hues, and the fume of them stank upon the air and was deadly. Thus Ardgallan perished, and fire devoured its grasses, and it became a burned and desolate waste, full of a choking dust, barren and lifeless. Thereafter its name was changed, and it was called Anfagleth, the gasping dust. Many charred bones had there their roofless grave, for many of the Noldor perished in that burning, who were caught by the running flame and could not fly to the hills. That sounds eerily similar to what we see in Rings of Power, except Galadriel isn't quite caught in rivers of lava. Still, in Morgoth's preemptive fiery strike, many elves perish in the ash and fumes that he sends forth. So how does Galadriel, let alone the weaker humans, survive this blast? It's a Rings of Power miracle, and it breaks the enchantment. We finally see some depth to the character of Galadriel. After six episodes of her being vengeful, brash, and impetuous, she tells Theo that killing orcs isn't actually a good thing. Except just minutes before this, when orcs hadn't yet devastated the land with a volcano, she said that their kind was a mistake, made in mockery, and her life mission is to wipe them out of Middle-earth. That is a major disconnect for her character. And here's the deeper problem with Galadriel. She just hasn't done anything heroic. Some brave deed where real stakes were on the line. She killed one troll by jumping on a sword and being cooler than the other elves. She swam away from a sea monster, who after a random attack also simply swam away. Where is the heroism in that? She didn't even have to fight the thing or struggle for her life. In Numenor, she whined, lied, and bluffed, until by some rings of power miracle, Muriel agreed to go to Middle-earth. And then in this latest episode, she wanders off on some out-of-the-way path without even looking for survivors? How lost do you need to be to not see the trail of people and horses walking through the ash who literally started where you did and are going to the same destination as you are? I mean, if Gladriel were as strong and athletic to take down a snow troll all on her own, perhaps she could have helped clear some rubble and help out a few trapped survivors. But then again, no other elves were around to catapult her with their sword. Except Arondir, I guess. But it seems too little too late. Theo asks her if she's lost anyone. She says her brother Finrod, which we know, and Celeborn, her husband. What? So, just to keep things straight, 
She believes Celeborn, her husband, died in battle, and she reacted with, eh, whatever. But it was the death of her brother, Finrod, that sparked her vengeful outrage and inspired her to track after Sauron and wipe out all the orcs? Something just doesn't add up. We'll get to more on Celeborn and the lore around him in just a minute, but to sum up Galadriel, a tempest raging vengeful elf who won't stop fighting because she can't stop fighting, has suddenly grown reflective of her actions. And it only took a volcanic eruption and the devastation of a corner of Middle-earth to do it. And here's a bonus example of the enchantment being broken and being compelled to simply suspend our disbelief. Notice who kneels to whom throughout Rings of Power. We have Galadriel kneeling to Muriel more than once, and Elrond kneeling to the dwarves more than once. No one else kneels to anyone else. So the firstborn children of Iluvatar, immortal and ethereal by nature, who are set apart from other mortal races and have a bit of pride that goes along with that. They kneel to mere measly men and dwelving dismal dwarves? No, I don't think so. Even if they need Mithril to survive. I don't think Rings of Power understands who elves are by their very natures. Those are my examples of when the enchantment of Rings of Power was broken, and I was compelled to suspend my disbelief. At the same time, I wonder, am I being too harsh? Many people I know, including some who have wandered further in Middle-earth than I have, and others who are just beginning the journey, really seem to enjoy the show. And I think you've seen in these lore breakdowns of Rings of Power, I've gone back and forth. Do I enjoy it? Yes. Am I happy that millions more people will be introduced to the vast imaginations of Tolkien? Absolutely. Do I think Rings of Power Season 1 has completely captured the essence, epicness, and themes of Tolkien? No, not yet. But we still have Episode 8 and future seasons, so maybe we're just too early in this journey. Criticisms aside, I do have some Easter eggs and lore for you from Episode 7, The Eye. We'll be right back. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. Here's some little gems that you may have missed. In the home of Prince, or rather, former Prince Durin, above the door is a small image of an anvil and hammer. This same image is on the west doors of Moria at the time when Gandalf and the Fellowship attempt to open them. Gimli even says, quote, There are the emblems of Durin. Durin mentions the dwarves' secret names, which he's about to share with Elrond as a demonstration of the depth of their friendship. From Appendix F in Return of the King, we learn that the dwarves were highly secretive of their language in general. Interesting that Elrond has picked up on a few words, for the dwarves, quote, tended it and guarded it as a treasure of the past. 
few of other race have succeeded in learning it. Since the dwarves kept their language a tight-lipped secret, it's natural that they would do the same with their inner names. Quote, Gimli's own name, however, and the names of all his kin, are of northern Manish origin. Their own secret and inner names, their true names, the dwarves have never revealed to anyone of alien race. Not even on their tombs do they inscribe them. Good thing Elrond interrupted Durin, or we would all know Durin's secret name. Before we leave the dwarves, we see a cameo of the Balrog at the bottom of the Mithril vein. And presumably this is Durin's bane, the Balrog that would drive the dwarves from Khazad-dûm in the Third Age. Here's a little back and forth from the Fellowship of the Ring, when the Fellowship is meeting Celeborn and Galadriel. Quote, It was a Balrog of Morgoth, said Legolas, of all elf banes the most deadly, save the one who sits in the Dark Tower. Indeed, I saw upon the bridge that which haunts our darkest dreams. I saw Durin's bane, said Gimli in a low voice, and dread was in his eyes. Alas, said Celeborn, we long have feared that under Caradras a terror slept. What Legolas, Gimli, and Celeborn all failed to mention is that Balrogs really hate leaves. Indeed, a Balrog is pretty much the grumpy old man in the neighborhood that yells at all his neighbors in the fall time. If we could translate Balrog roars, it's probably saying, Get your leaf off my lawn! Swinging back to Harfoots, they must really love apples. So much so that they will pick them, even if the apples are charred black. But at least they could eat second breakfast, much to Pippin's comfort. But not all's well with the Harfoots. As Sadok says, Quote, Pity's sake, Brandyfoot, give us a moment to weep. Uh, Boromir, anyone? After Gandalf falls with the Balrog and the Fellowship narrowly escapes Moria, Boromir says, quote, Give them a moment, for pity's sake! But apparently the burned carts of a tiny Harfoot tribe is the equivalent of the Valar's primary helper to the free people of Middle-earth and one of Sauron's chief enemies, falling to his supposed death, when the whole world falling under Sauron's domination is at stake. Those seem like they need the same level of mourning, for pity's sake. Heading further south, Bronwyn of the Southlanders says that the survivors will head to the old Numenorean colony called Pelargir. Not only is this a Numenorean colony, but the Cimmerian calls it the Haven of the Faithful Numenoreans, of which Elindil is a leader. This settlement was at the mouth of the river Anduin as it opened into the Great Bay south of Gondor. Anduin is the giant river that flows north to south on which the Fellowship boated after leaving Lothlorien. Pelargir is where Aragorn raced to after calling the Army of the Dead to fulfill their oath. There he fought Sauron's allies on black ships and took the ships to Minas Tirith. And the Southlands are now Mordor. I've heard many people were really put off by the text change sequence. I actually didn't mind it so much. But I do think we missed a great opportunity for a line from Adar in answer to Waldrig. What shall we call it instead? Waldrig asks him. Adar could have said something like, This once green land is now a land of darkness. That's what Mordor literally means, at least. Mor, meaning darkness, and Dor, meaning land, in Elvish. I want to get to Galadriel's mention of Celeborn, but before that, I have to say that I have nothing on the three creepy cultist-like beings. They have magical ability over fire, so that means they are not elf, man, or dwarf, but of the class of spiritual beings called the Maiar. The Maiar can take mortal form and serve the Valar, who are the powers that govern the world. Gandalf, Saruman, Sauron, and Balrogs are notable examples of Maiar. Now, let's talk Celeborn. Galadriel name-drops Celeborn when she and Theo are hanging out under fallen trees hiding from orcs. Theo asks if she's lost anyone close to the orcs. Kin, he means. Well, here's a short list of kin that Galadriel has lost to orcs and their masters. 
and if you want more details, go back and listen to my previous episodes. Finway, her grandfather, was killed by Morgoth himself. Fingolfin, her uncle. Fingon, Turgon, Aretel, all cousins. Galadriel's mentor, Melian, was of the Maiar, who left Middle-earth after King Fingal died. Orodraith, Angrad, and Agnor, her brothers. Not to mention her eldest brother, Finrod, who died by werewolf in Sauron's dungeons. Basically, by the Second Age, Galadriel has two family members left. King Gil-galad, who is the son of Galadriel's cousin, and Elrond, who is a distant cousin a couple of times removed. However, according to lore, Galadriel marries Celeborn in the First Age, during the war against Morgoth. Here's a few lines from various places in the Silmarillion. Quote, Galadriel, Finrod's sister, went not with him to Nargothrond, for in Doriath dwelt Celeborn, kinsman of Thingol, and there was great love between them. Celeborn, prince of Doriath, was wedded to the lady Galadriel. Some lingered many an age in Middle-earth. Among those were Celeborn of Doriath, with Galadriel, his wife. And, quote, In the land of Lorien, where dwelt the Lady Galadriel, a queen she was of the woodland elves, the wife of Celeborn of Doriath. In Fellowship, Galadriel describes Celeborn as, quote, The lord of the Galadrium is accounted the wisest of the elves of Middle-earth, and a giver of gifts beyond the power of kings. He has dwelt in the west since the days of dawn, and I have dwelt with him years uncounted. For ere the fall of Nargothrond or Gondolin, I passed over the mountains, and together through ages of the world, we have fought the long defeat. Nargothrond and Gondolin were elven strongholds in the First Age, and if Galadriel and Celeborn passed over the mountains before those fell, then they had been married for thousands and thousands of years. But what Galadriel means by passed over the mountains is a little unclear, as a few passages in Unfinished Tales give some contradictory ideas. But let's make it a little more confusing, shall we? In Carl Hostetter's book, The Nature of Middle-Earth, in which Carl published many never-before-published notes from J.R.R. Tolkien, we get this conflicting statement, quote, Celeborn and Galadriel were not married, though betrothed, during the dreadful years of the Battle of Wrath, meaning the First Age, nor for some while afterwards in the confusions of the Second Age. I, for one, am going to fall on the side of the Silmarillion, since it seems to be the closest to Tolkien's true intentions and the quantity of references to them being married. Circling back to Rings of Power, Gladriel claims that Celeborn marched off to war, and that she never saw him again. We are led to believe that she presumes him dead, which, if you think about it, leads to an interesting dilemma. If elves are intended to be immortal, and yet the mortal body dies and the spirit dwells in the houses of the dead, what happens when one spouse dies and the other lives? To further complicate it, what happens if one spouse dies and the other remarries, and the one who died gets reincarnated and sent back to life? What a love triangle! Is your head spinning yet? Let's boil it down to this question. Do elves remarry if one spouse dies? We have an example of this in Galadriel's own family. Her grandfather, Finway, remarried while living in Valinor, after the death of his first wife, Midiel, who died soon after Feanor's birth. Finway, quote, took as his second wife Indis the Fair. She was a Vanya, the highest house of elves, golden-haired and tall. Now you see where Galadriel gets her golden hair and height from. Here's some more insight from the nature of Middle-earth. Quote, the elves did not normally marry again, but after the judgment of Miriel, they were permitted lawfully to do so, if one partner deserted the other. This very seldom occurred. The idea of one spouse deserting another is clarified in this next quote. Quote, elves married in perpetuity. As long as a first mate was alive and incarnate, they had no thought of other marriage. In Amun, the only case of a breach was Miriel and Finway. If a wife was left widowed, or vice versa, 
forever remarriage was permissible, but seldom occurred. Now let's apply this to Rings of Power Galadriel. If she thinks Celeborn is dead, she certainly could remarry, but that would be a very rare thing indeed. And even more rare would be for her to love a mortal man, like Halbrand, and get remarried to him. But that's okay, because maybe Halbrand's Sauron anyway. But is Celeborn dead? What battle could he have marched away to? This is not really clear to me. Celeborn was a kinsman to Thingol, who was the king of Doriath. Being a Sindarin elf, he did not approve of Feanor and the Noldor elves and their war against Morgoth, and I don't think he ever sent troops to the aid of the Noldor. However, Doriath did fall to ruin by the hands of not orcs, but dwarves. Yes, dwarves brought about the downfall of Doriath. Listen to episode 28 for that story. Is it possible that Celeborn marched in some battle versus dwarves, and then Galadriel hasn't seen him since in his silver clam armor? I hope we get some explanation on this point. Thanks for sticking around through this one today. I found this lore breakdown a bit challenging to write. If you have further questions or comments, find me on Twitter or Instagram or send me an email. And remember to share a wafer of Lumbus with me. You can do that at buymeacoffee.com slash L-O-T-R podcast. Thanks for wandering with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.